What a prayer that God would purify our hearts, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable, pleasing, glorifying to Him, to our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. I tell you, I've just been reminded over and over and over again as I've gone through the activities of the week that God is good, that He's faithful, that His mercies are new every morning, that He's gracious and that He's kind. Now I want you to reflect for just a moment on your week and the people that you spent time with. And here's the question that I want us to ask and consider. Are those people, the people that you've carried on conversations with, the people that you've interacted with, are those people, people strengthened in their faith? Are they more knowledgeable? Are they more encouraged? Are they more comforted? Are they more close to God because of the interactions that you've had with them? A lot of times when we come to church and when I prepare and deliver a sermon and we allow God's Word to speak, it seems like I'm, the, the, the focus is us individually. It is, all right, here's what the Word of the Lord says. Now you hear it, you learn it, you believe it, you do it, and we sit there and we receive it. And we hear it. Granted, sometimes better than others, sometimes more than others, and we follow it. Granted, sometimes more ardently than others and sometimes less so. But it seems to be so individually focused. And sometimes we lose the biblical understanding that we are to be fed not simply from a sermon on Sunday morning or a class in a classroom, but from the Word of God as we read it and study it for ourselves and as we see it and hear it in the lives of one another. And we allow it to enrich us. We allow God to continue His work of changing us, of transforming us, of conforming us, making us like Jesus, allowing us to experience more of Jesus' power in us and through us. And that's what we've been studying, how to make disciples. The purpose of this congregation is together we glorify God by making mature disciples of all nations starting here in the West End and starting in, in this congregation, starting in the people that you already have relationships with and also opening up your mind and your heart for a new relationship that God brings into your life. We've looked at a lot of different things. We've talked about first be a disciple. We've talked about the scope of discipleship. We've talked about the model that we have in Scripture. We've talked about uh, first catch your fish. Who are you going to disciple? Are you praying? Have you identified two, three, four people that you're saying in this relationship, we're going to intentionally lean this into a, a mutually encouraging, mutually growing, uh, or even may, maybe less mutually. I need to be someone, be with someone who's going to teach me things that I don't know. I need to be with someone who's been walking in the faith longer or having walked in the faith longer and having experienced more of Christ then I get to invest my life in someone who is a new believer, someone who's just starting out, or someone who may have been a believer for a long time, but they've never been encouraged or equipped or trained in what it means to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we went through first catch your fish, and, and then we gather your tools. you got to manage your expectations. I want you to know that making disciples is not easy. Living the Christian life, investing your life in others, caring for other people. Have you guys ever been disappointed by someone? Uh, and, and we all have, to some degree or another. Do people ever get on your nerves? It's always a little surprising. Uh, you know, you, you kind of have this idea, or at least I guess we don't, but we should have this idea that 
it, when Christians gather together, it's all peace and harmony and unity. It's holding hands and singing. It's encouraging. It's joy and it's clamoring. And yet, that is largely not our experience. Would you agree? Uh, there are always people that rub us wrong. There are always people who don't do what we think they should do or do what we think they should not do, who say things and they say things the wrong way and do this and don't do that and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And we can just come down with a whole list of things. And we need to make sure that we are, as we read last week, uh, as God's holy and beloved ones, we need to put on a heart of compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience because we're going to have to bear with one another. And there are going to be complaints, but when there's a complaint one against another, we forgive each other just as God has forgiven us. And above all these things, that which binds everything together is love. We put on love in perfect harmony, and we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts to which we were called in one body. And we are continuously thankful. Amen? Good. All right. Now, here's the question. Let's just say that you've said, all right, here's a relationship that I'm going to invest in this person. I want to spend time with them uh, in whatever context we have, or I see them on a regular basis already, but I want to raise the bar on this relationship. I want to deepen this relationship because I want God to use me to impact them for His glory. Okay? Now, and let's say you're in a setting. What do you, what do, you do? What do you say? Where do you start? Have you guys ever been in a classroom where the teacher did not have a teaching plan? It was fun, wasn't it? Uh, by the way, somebody asked me, why do you always carry a notebook with you in the pulpit? And the, re and, and the reason is, uh, so I'll know where to start and waypoints along the way, and I'll know when to stop. You, you need to recognize that the outlines are more for your benefit than for mine. Uh, I can talk all day about things I don't even know that much about and don't care that much about. But, buddy, you get me talking about the things of God and the Word of God and all these things come to mind. And I can, you can just go all over the place. Isn't it always better to have a structure, a plan, a destination? Have you ever worked for somebody and you didn't have clear expectations of what your job was? Frustrating, wasn't it? can drive you nuts and make you crazy. Here's what I want to do. I want to help you develop a plan person by person. There's a wisdom component to this, how you can best invest your life in someone else. And so I want us to read together. You can read on the screen. I would, I would hope that you would be bringing your Bibles and we could read together from Scripture. I want you to get you used to handling the Bible. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to pick up where I just left off. We're just going to read two verses, verses 16 and 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. And here's where we pick up right after be thankful. He says, now let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Father, these are a few short verses, and yet they contain some massive truths. Truths that we see taught throughout Scripture and modeled throughout Scripture. I pray that you'll make these truths become not only beliefs, but behaviors in our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. When you start a trip, it's good to know where you're going. It's good to have a destination. 
in verse 17, the last verse, this verse we just read, we have our destination. Our destination is in whatever we do and in the lives we're investing in, the things that they do, in what we say and do, in everything, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we're able to do this giving thanks to God, our Father, through Him. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? That's a pretty great goal. How do you do that? What do you teach? How do you get engaged? What do you do? Well, you first of all, you go to the source. And so if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to uh, start there. We go to the source. And what is the source of our knowledge, our understanding? What, what, where do we begin? And we begin with the Word of God. Remember Jesus uh, in John chapter 8, to the Jews who had believed in Him, He said, if you hold to my teaching... You're really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I want you to understand, we just read Psalm 19. We just sang Psalm 19. You know, if that was not enough, go to Psalm 119. As a matter of fact, there are so many places throughout Scripture, and as I was just looking up passages of Scripture that dealt with the living and active Word of God, God's Word that He not only inspired but that he has preserved and kept is living and it works within us to change us. There, there's a principle here that I want us to understand as believers. We're to allow the word of God to dwell in us. What does that mean? To take up residence within us. We're to become so familiar with God's truth and God's word that, that we meditate on it. That we uh, are rich in his word. Let the word of God dwell in you richly and that just means to be suffused with to be imbued with to be full of to have your pockets filled your mind filled every avenue of your life filled with the word of God and I am afraid that too often we bring our Bibles on Sunday or we leave it in the car so we won't forget it and we don't spend a lot of time in the word of God throughout the week now, some of you have individual Bible studies that you will go, and you'll go in that class and open your Bible, and you're in that class in that Bible study, or you'll have this exposure here, or you'll have this exposure here. But being in the Word of God on a regular and consistent basis, it, it, maybe there was a time when, when that was what was going on, but it's not what's taking place now so much. And can I tell you that to be a disciple who makes disciples, you need to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in you richly. What does that look like? How do you start your day? And it may mean simply that you get up 15 minutes earlier or 20 minutes earlier. And you open the word of God and you say, Father, as a matter of fact, if you don't know what to read, read our daily Bible reading. As a matter of fact, by the way, you guys that are aware of current events in the world, you ought to read today or tomorrow's daily Bible reading. You ought to read what's going on in Jeremiah 26, 27, or I forget, the, the condemnations in Jeremiah. You need to look at the promises of God for Israel in Isaiah 26. It's important, and, and it will be encouraging to you. It will be refreshing to you. But it reveals God. We begin, and then as you go through the day, maybe when you're driving into town. I don't know how many of you are driving into town, or you have a ways to go, but you can listen to a podcast. You can listen to uh, radio uh, you can listen to talk radio. You can listen to music. Why don't you listen to Scripture? Why don't you set version to come on Bluetooth through your phone and listen to the book of 
Romans being read to you as you're riding down the road and slow it down and think about it and meditate on those things. At lunchtime, reflect on the Word of God. What is your passage of Scripture? What is God teaching you through this passage of Scripture today? In the evening, by the way, can I just encourage you guys to do something? How many of you have trouble going to sleep at night? Anybody here have trouble going to sleep at night? Now, I feel for you, I don't. Man, I can close my eyes and I'm gone. I have, I have, I have, I have three wonderful skills or three gifts. I can make people mad. <laughs> just, just natural. I can put people to sleep. But, buddy, if you're talking about personal sleep, personal skills, I can sleep. I, I can sleep anytime, anywhere. Standing up, sitting down, leaning against a wall, laying in the bed. Close my eyes, I just go to sleep. But, and my wife doesn't go to sleep that quickly. And w- when we talk about the difference, I tell her it's because I have a clean conscience. <laughs> I, I, and, and, and that's not to say that, that she doesn't. But I will tell you that there is a difference. Does your mind ever get something and just kind of loops around and you get all these thoughts that run in your head? And, like, and sometimes your to-do list, your activity, or the stress of the day, and it just... Your mind's just going, your mind's just going. Can I, can I give you some encouragement? Before you go to bed at night, open the Word of God. You can open to the Psalms. You can open to multiple passages throughout Scripture. Open the Word of God and set your mind on the things of God as you go to bed at night. And I don't want to get used to falling asleep when you start reading Scripture. But I do want you to know that there's a component to be allowing the Word of God to dwell in you richly that includes meditation. It includes reflecting upon the character of God or the personal of God or some truth person of God or some truth that He has revealed. And you allow that to just dwell on your heart. I went to an exercise at a retreat several years ago, and we were given a passage of Scripture, and we were told to to, to reflect on this passage of Scripture, to outline it, to make sure that we understood it, but then to, to prepare a little, a little study on it, a little devotion on it. What is the truth and why does it matter? What does it tell us about God or what does it tell us about ourselves? What do we need to know? What is the heart of this passage of Scripture? And here was the ringer. The person leading the workshop said, you can't write anything down until you have read, studied, prayed, and meditated over that Scripture for 20 minutes. 20 minutes doesn't seem like a long time. But most of us don't take a passage of Scripture and reflect on it for 20 minutes. You read it and you kind of get through it. It's like, okay, yeah, here's who he was talking. Here's who they were talking to. Here's what it says. I understand the words. And here's a statement. And here's a statement. And here's a statement. And you can do this in five, six, seven minutes. But we weren't allowed to write anything down until we had meditated and prayed. Until we asked the Lord to reveal truth to us I mean, in our lives about this passage of Scripture. And then we were permitted to write. And we began to write and then we began to share. And the leader of this workshop said, how many of you got to that point in the first five minutes? How many of you got to the truth applied the truth illustrated, the reality, the knowledge that you're supposed to have at the depth that you have in the first five minutes. And nobody did. As a matter of fact, some of us were like, give us a little bit more time to process before we actually begin to pen and write this. I want you to know we cheat ourselves when we gallop down, when we just 
shoved down the Word of God in a brief period, and we run off to something else and set our minds on something else. We're to allow the Word of God, allow the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly. And what is the next phrase in that passage? It is teaching and admonishing one another. This is important that we get, all right? It's important that we understand this because this is not a letter to the pastor. This is a letter to each of us. We are to one another, one another. We are to teach and admonish one another. Discipling is when we spend time in the Word of God. We meditate it, meditate on it. We, we memorize it. We allow the Word of God to do its work in our heart. We'll get to more about that was in a moment. But then we communicate that to other people, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing. Teaching has to do with what people know, usually. has to do with knowledge. Admonishing has to do with behavior. Normally, correction or direction. And so what we do is important. We take the Word of God into our lives in order that God can use it not only in our lives, but in someone else's life. And I don't mean the teaching part has to be formal, class, PowerPoint presentation, outline, fill in the blanks. That's not what I'm talking about. The most life-changing lessons I've learned, I learned as I was living alongside of someone else. I never forget the lessons I got from Dad. The, The most lessons I got from Dad were not from behind the pulpit. But they were from seeing him live out the truth of, of, of God in his life day by day. Uh, Dad was not so much a fisherman, and he was certainly not a golfer. And, and, and so there wasn't a lot of the, the recreational activities, but Dad loved cars. He loved, well, he loved new cars. How about that? Or old cars. He loved cars new to him. Uh, it was one of the funny things in, in life in our kid. We never knew what cars were going to be in the driveway when we got home. Uh, Dad typically got a different car every 9 to 12 months as we were coming up. And I got to tell you, you might think, well, that would be frustrating. As a teenager, it was great because he liked muscle cars, too. We had a Pontiac GTO. We had a 65 Mustang. We had a Chevy Camaro 67 with a 327. We had, we, we had an Austin Healey Sprite. I mean, we just kind of went through this circle. Now, we started with a Volkswagen, so let's put this in perspective. But we just went through these series of cars. But one of the things that we would do is we would take rides or we would drive together. And I remember sitting in the passenger seat, dad driving, talking about things, talking about things going on in my life talking about experiences he had, applying the truth of Scripture in those casual conversations, or being with mom, usually tilling the ground, or putting out a garden, or bringing in butter beans, or shelling, or those conversations I had with Danny Truett where we would go get a Coke or an ice cream float or, frankly, a chili cheeseburger at the Bantam Chef in Belton, South Carolina. And I would kind of unload, and he would just kind of invest God's word into me. It's how Paul taught Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if we start in verse 10, we see an exhortation that Paul gives to Timothy. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, 
my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, where, which persecutions I endured, and yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom is important that we understand that this doesn't have to be formal instructions, but it has to be putting the word of God, speaking the word of God in one another's life. The second point on the outline this morning I want you to write is there are four paths that we can take when we start customizing and when we start planning, when we start being intentional. Because the next phrase, teaching and admonishing, what's the next three words? It's right there. Teaching and admonishing with all wisdom. So we need to know what this person needs, the need that this person has, the need that I have to be invested in them life. And so I want to focus on four D's or four areas, four paths that we can take when we start helping one another grow. Proverbs 25.11 says a word fitly spoken in wisdom, a word fitly spoken that meets the person, a word that the person can grasp and understand. It's like apples of gold in pictures of silver. This doesn't mean that you don't need to plan your discipling relationships. You do. They all should be. But some of your discipling relationships are more intentional than others. But I want you to find someone and say, all right, I'm praying for this person. I'm working toward their growth. And so what are four areas, four Ds, if you will, that I can help focus on? And the first is their devotional life. I'm going to give you the Ds. First is their devotional life. Too many times in structured church ecclesiological systems, someone becomes saved, becomes a believer, we baptize them, and then we sign them up for a ministry, we give them an offering envelope, we give them a handbook on what it means to be a good church member, we wish them well, and we look forward to seeing them next week. And I believe that is a very poor path to discipleship. The first thing that a new believer needs to know is how much God loves them and how they can reciprocate and grow in his love and in their love for them. Even in this verse, he gives the attitude for how we teach and admonish, joyfully singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts. Devotion comes first. I've never known a truly surrendered, powerful, productive Christian who did not have a viable and consistent daily devotional life. And I'm sure that every Christian who has such daily time with God, intimate, cultured by the word of God in prayer, will be powerful for God. God tends to fill and use the vessel that lies nearest to his hand. And so I want to help someone grow in their walk with God. What do I do? The first thing I do is I help them learn how to pray. By the way, prayer needs to be taught and it needs to be caught There needs to be biblical instruction. The Bible speaks to prayer. And there needs to be that biblical model. There needs to be that praying together where you hear someone else pray. Where you get to emulate their approach to God. Where you recognize that prayer isn't just saying some words. And folks, i got to tell you, we've got to learn how to pray. God moves and works when His people pray. Too many times we pray and we never get in our minds, in our hearts, in in our attitudes, into the throne room of God. It's just a list of needs. Father, here's the grocery list. Would you take care of this for me, please? 
or it's just rote. Here's this prayer, and I'm going to say these words, and here's this prayer, and I'm going to say these words. And we're no more talking to God than, than anything. It's mostly just talking to ourselves. And prayer is approaching God personally, face-to-face, intimately. And you've got to teach people that. You've got to know it, learn it, grow in it, and share it with somebody else. When's the last time you just pulled up a chair beside someone? Figuratively, if not specifically. And said, hey, the Lord's laid this on my heart. Can we pray together about this out loud? Me and you right here, right now. And you just pray. Or maybe it's a good day and God has put his goodness on your mind and on your heart and somebody else is struggling. And you just get to go up to that person and you say, hey. I want to remember, can I share with you something God reminded me of today? That His mercies are new every morning. And I am so in need of His mercies. Can we just pray right now and thank God for His mercies? Thank Him for His forgiveness and His kindness and His grace. Can I tell you something about making a disciple of someone else and helping them learn how to have a devoted life to Christ, a devotional walk with God, an intimacy an intimate walk with God, it'll help you and yours. It'll keep you faithful and it'll keep you consistent. And then you get to partner with someone else. A devotional life where you pray, but also where you read and study the Word of God. You have to learn how to read and study the Word of God. You have to learn not only the... and, and there, There's so much here. But, you know, God's Word is living and powerful and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword what we read in psalm 19 this morning god's word makes our way pure god's word keeps us from presumptuous sin god's word keeps us from rebellion and turning away and even sins that we don't know about and it keeps us clean and it keeps our keeps us in light keeps our path straight and so we open the word of god and we pray And we practice and then bring someone into that. The best thing Danny Truett ever did for me, me, a youth director I had back first in Louisiana and then in South Carolina, the best thing he ever did for me was model how to have a quiet time with God. I don't even think we use the terminology anymore. You guys know what a quiet time is? It's not time out, even though it should have some characteristics of time out. But a quiet time with God is when you get alone with the Word of God in prayer. And you pray and you listen by reading. And you pray and you listen by reading. And you commune with God. And it is astonishing the intimacy that comes from that. The peace that comes from that. The power that comes from that. And so when you begin discipling someone else, you follow Jesus' model. In the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. We have a devotional life that includes prayer and the Word of God. There's a place of worship that looks like singing songs and praising God, but there's also a place of worship that looks like Bible study and seeking God. When we only spend time in one or the other of those places, worship becomes tiring or repetitive or ineffective. But when we combine them together as God intended, we experience the fullness of worship and we feel our hearts more submitted to his will. I want to give you, wow, that's just the first D. You guys need to look up Piper's IOUs, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about. John Piper, some of you may have heard of him or not. 
But I want to just give you this. One of his morning prayers, he says, here's a way to have a quiet time and how to pray, how to open the Bible and hear God. And he says, first of all, I incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. That's Psalm 119.36. Incline my heart. Very simply, we ask God to take our hearts, which are more inclined at breakfast or sleeping late or whatever's on the news or newspaper or the podcast or whatever's on the phone, and change that inclination. God, grasp my attention, incline my heart, create desires in me that aren't there. And then as he inclines our heart, we pray, oh, open my eyes, Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. I need to have my eyes and my heart open so that when he inclines my heart, I'm able to receive the truth that he has for me, not stuff that's just there. And then Psalm 86, 11, unite, IOUs, incline, open, and unite, unite my heart to fear your name. So I'm, I'm sorry, 80, yeah, Psalm 86, 11. You see, I'm, I know that my heart is fragmented. Parts of it are inclined, parts of it are not. Parts see wonder and parts say, well, that's not wonderful. What I long for is a united heart where all the parts say a joyful yes to whatever God reveals in his word. And then, of course, S is satisfying. Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Father, I want to find contentment in you. I want to not cast about for other things and seek for other things. I want to find contentment in you. I want you to incline my heart. I want you to open my eyes. I want you to unite my heart. And Father, I pray that you will fill me and that I will be satisfied with you. All of that comes from God. And you, you learn it and you teach it. I need to get through these D's so y'all listen closely. The second D is doctrine. Doctrine. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Yeah. Doctrine. Oh, boy. Let's talk about transubstantiation. Or let's talk about this. Or let's talk about that. No, let me tell you what we're talking about, doctrine. We're talking about the substance of teaching of truth. My teaching, my aim in life, Paul told Timothy, you've seen my teaching, you've seen my aim in life, you've seen my faith. Our command, teaching and admonishing. In Romans chapter 6, Paul was writing a letter to a church where he hadn't been. And the substance of this letter is the teaching, the doctrine that he normally gives. And in chapter 6, he says, in chapter 5, we've been justified. Now we have peace with the Father and we're no longer what we used to be. And now chapter 6, he says, because of grace, we're free from the power of sin. Doesn't give us Grace doesn't give us permission to sin. Grace gives us the freedom not to sin. And starting in Romans 6, verse 15, he says, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? May it never be. You're far from it. Do you not know that the one whom, to whom you present yourselves as slave for obedience, you're slave of that same one whom you obey? So you can be a slave to sin that results in death. Or you can be a slave of obedience resulting in righteousness. And then verse 17, thanks be to God that though you were in the past slaves of sin, listen, you became obedient from the heart to the doctrine, the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And after being freed from sin, 
you became slaves to righteousness. I want you to understand that doctrine there, that teaching, that instruction. Here's the truth you got to grasp. Belief always determines behavior. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Belief always determines behavior. And you've got to know truth. There's a form of teaching, a systematic, deeper understanding the truths of God's Word. And let me just give you some things out there. You need to know who Jesus is. What do he say about himself? An excellent passage for you to peruse this week would be John chapter 6. You need to know who God is. What he says about himself, his character and his attributes. You need to know that God is a creator and no creation. You need to know that the Bible is trustworthy. And, and you need to know about the condition of man. And you need to know how God saves, the doctrine of soteriology. You need to know about the church and on and on and on. And I don't mean classroom settings. I mean you can sit down with someone and just instruct. There's got to be rich teaching filled with understanding. Next week we're going to look at four stages of discipleship. In these relationships. And it's going to focus around that teaching and admonishing with all wisdom. But there's another D I want you to be able to help somebody with. Difficulties. You help them with devotion and doctrine. But you guys know that a man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward, yes? You guys know you're going to face trials of various kinds. You guys know that as a believer you have an enemy. Seeking to devour. You have a world that has fallen and turned its back upon God. And is under the wrath of God. You know that those who hated Jesus are going to hate the followers of Jesus. And you know that just because of sin and just because of sickness and illness. And just because of the condition of living under the curse. There are struggles and difficulties in the world. And so whoever you're investing your life in either has just gotten over, is just going through, or just heading into a difficulty. And can I tell you, it's there where you experience the grace of God. They need to see you have patience and endurance and be delivered from bitterness and resentfulness. They need to see you trusting God when things are hard. And when they go through the same thing, you get to talk to them and share with them with all wisdom the sufficiency of God in every circumstance. Not simply little verses that you send them and hope you have a good day. But I'm talking about getting on your face and your knees before God with them, for them, walking with them, encouraging them. A text, a call, a personal contact, a note. A letter, something that you can do because God is not intended that we face the challenges that we face alone. Certainly, He has promised to never leave us and He has promised to never forsake us. But He puts us in a family of faith and He joins our hearts and our minds together so that we walk through struggles together through the glory of God. Amen? So, we teach people how to love God. We teach people what God says about himself and what God says about the world and what God says about us. And we come alongside of people when they're struggling. We come alongside of people. And it may not be a physical struggle. It may be a relationship struggle. It may be an employment struggle. It may be a worry or anxiety struggle. We come alongside with the truth of God's word, displaying it. And we come alongside with the truth of God's word, instructing it's important. We model how we walk through 
difficulties. Like Paul said, Timothy, you saw my persecutions I endured, and yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. The Lord was faithful. We help people lean on Christ. Final D, and this is the fun one, disposition. Disposition. Now let me explain this D. What is a disposition? Or another way to say it, attitude. Attitude. Attitude check. You guys ever have attitude checks? How's your attitude? How's your attitude? How you think about others, how you respond to trials, and your general attitude. Timothy, Paul said that Timothy had seen his patience, his love, and his steadfastness. Paul saw, Paul displayed his attitude, his disposition, his temperament to Timothy. I've known many people who are faithful to church, who knew their Bible, who were engaged in ministry. And who had a bitter, complaining, critical attitude. You guys ever met anybody like that? Nobody's looking around. Everybody's being present. I've known many people who are good people as far as coming to church, as far as signing up for ministry, as far as doing this and doing that, and they complain the whole time. Or they were bitter the whole time. Or their lives were characterized by anything but joy. And because of that, they lost the opportunity to give a positive biblical influence on anybody's life around them. Do you want to be around that person? When you're around that person, what happens to your attitude? Goes right where they go. When our friends struggle with attitudes that do not glorify God, and we don't give them a platform to deal with them, a truth to believe, a standard to recognize, a means to overcome and replace them with the joy of the Lord. When we don't provide to them some level of accountability that helps them recognize their responsibility to put off some things and put on new things, they will continue and even increase in these deadly sins. Is complaining contagious? Is joy contagious? Is thankfulness contagious? Is positivity focusing upon God's sufficiency and God's grace and His mercy toward us and His loving kindness toward us contagious? Is an attitude of worship and an attitude of trust contagious? It is. What are people catching from you? You see? We got a great privilege. We got a great privilege. We got to remember the end goal, the destination, the third point on the outline. We got to we got to recognize what's going on. The result in ourselves and for the person we're investing in is a transformed life. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through him. Imagine what our church would be like if this was characteristic of all of our lives. Imagine the marriages that would be rescued, saved, and strengthened. The parenting that would be encouraged and, and even corrected. Imagine the difference it would make when you go to your job and the people around you there. It's what grace is all about, knowing Jesus and walking with Him. Um, are you guys familiar with all creatures, great and small? 
You guys, you guys ever heard of that? It's a book, series of books. They turned it into a TV program. I read the books years ago. My Aunt Diane gave them to me. And I, I am a voracious reader, and I read those. And there's a, a, a little illustration in there that I want to share with you. The vet was there, and he's trained, and he knows all about how to take care of large animals and small animals. And there's a, a dog that continued to have health problems, and he couldn't figure out get to the root of it. But there was also a lady in that village who was kind of the unofficial vet before the real vet came along and she had all these homebrew remedies and all these things that basically were nutrition and caring for the dog you know if you just put syrup on that or if you just do this or you just do that the vet would work on this dog the dog would get sick again and she'd say well if you'd have just done what I said do and so he got more and more frustrated with her but then he realized basically what this dog needed was a new owner now I won't get into that part of the story but he went to that owner and he said, you know, what you should do is you should go and take that dog to this lady and let her take care of him for six months. And let's see how it goes. The owner agreed. He was about tired anyway, didn't know what to do, ready to wash his hands of the situation. And all of a sudden, he spoke confidence into that lady. You can make a difference in this dog. And she began to take care of this dog. And she nurtured it, and she gave it attention, and she fed it all this mash stuff that she made, homebrew mash. And he goes into great detail of what all was done. And took motor oil and put it on his skin. And, you know, just the, the stuff that, that, that she normally did. But what that dog really needed was care and attention, somebody to pay attention to its needs. He came across that lady in six months, and he looked at her and said, How's the pup? And she pointed to him, this robust, healthy dog. And she said, look what a difference I made in that dog. Now, I know it's a light, silly, and it's an illustration. It's a dog. But can I tell you, I want you to be able to look at somebody else in this room and say, look what's different about them. Because God used me to teach and admonish in order that they may do everything that they do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with thanksgiving. We can do it. We can do it because of the grace of God that he has bestowed upon us. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. What a change you have made in us. What a difference you've made in our life. You took us from being children of wrath to children of God, children of light. You've washed us, you've cleansed us, you've fed us. You provide for us your word that is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. You give us instruction and correction. You love us and you're faithful to us, unfailingly faithful. And you call us to invest our lives in one another. So, Father, as we reflect upon your grace toward us, will you guide us in helping us? Teach and admonish as we are allowing your word to dwell in us richly for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen. <music>